to Central Baptist Church here in Livingston, Texas. I am so excited that each and every one of you have uh, chosen to join us for worship this morning. If you're a visitor with us, I want to say welcome to you. 
And uh, if you're new, we'd love to get to connect with you a little bit more. There are some connection cards in the back of the seats uh, around the worship center. If you take a second to fill that out with your information so that someone from our staff can reach out to you during the week. Uh, also, if you're a member or a guest and you have prayer requests, you can put those on that same card and uh, leave them as you leave the room. There's spots to drop those off at all the exits. Uh, we are in our Christmas Advent season. And so this week and the weeks leading up to Christmas, we'll be focusing our hearts on uh, the coming Emmanuel, Jesus, as a baby. And uh, as we do that, we'll be reading through scriptures specifically for that and doing our Christmas candle lighting. This morning, we have the Mueller family, members of our church, who are going to lead us as we read scripture and uh, ready our hearts for worship in the Christmas season. morning. Check, check. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. And Hebrews eleven six. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done and continue to do for us. We pray this morning that everyone in this room would continue to strengthen their faith, for without faith we have nothing. Father, while we may not always understand your ways, we believe that you will fulfill your promises as you have always done. As we enter a season of celebration of the birth of Jesus, I pray that we would all faithfully await his return. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, let's continue and stand and sing and worship.
this morning as we prepare to sing, we're going to sing about heaven coming to save us, God sending his son humbly as the savior of the world to save us. So we look at Luke chapter 1, verses 68 and 69. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That's talking about Jesus who humbled himself not only to death on a cross, but also to life as a human being. God humbled himself to, to experience the same pains and sufferings, the same emotion and heartbreak that you and I suffer daily. Because again, we do not have a God whose arm is too short to, short, too short to save, whose ear is too dull to hear, but we have a Savior who has suffered in every way that you and I have, one who loves us and has given himself for us so that we can have that life. So right now we're going to sing a song called Here Comes Heaven. We're celebrating the fact that God gave himself to us in the form of a baby, and he is coming again. We get to join together with the song of the angels as we rejoice the coming of Jesus Christ.
That's good singing. You can be seated this morning. We're going to pray together. And as we kick off our week of prayer for our international missionaries serving around the world, you have a couple tools that we've provided for you this morning. Uh, One is a prayer guide. It's in your bulletin today. If you don't have one of those, you can get one in the lobby. You're you're welcome to pick one of those up. I want to encourage you to pray this coming week over the course of the next seven days um, for our international missionaries serving around the world. So here's the guide for you. It's in the lobby. And then also we've given you another little tool this morning, a little Advent guide, if you will, um, something to do in your devotions if you choose to do so. Um, and it's a little red booklet that is available there in the lobby as well called the Christmas Code. And so it's a little simple tool you can use through the month of December as we're praying and as we're thinking about our uh, missionaries and thinking about in terms of um, what God is doing around the world. Um, I'm going to give you a little fresh testimony as we pray for our missionaries this morning. Um, just a few moments ago, literally, <laughs> Christine and I, we just received a message from our kids, and they're 12 hours ahead, and as you know, you support them, and they're on the field. Um, and I want to show you a picture they just sent us about 30, 45 minutes ago. There they are. Now, here they are, and they are on, literally on the other side of the world. They're 12 hours ahead of us, and they are trekking right now through mountains on their way to a particular village that they're going to be working in. Um, and that is their guide who is with them. He is a believer. Um, but I want to share with you just the quick message they gave us. First day of, of, of our trek um, to uh, this particular town that they're going to. Um, that's Paul in the picture. Um, he is a Christian. Uh, we, also, he, we are also uh, with our trekking guide who is not a Christian. So there is someone who is guiding them through the mountains of where they're headed. Um, technically, this is a language immersion trip, but we, of course, take every opportunity to be faithful and share. Here's the name that they want us to pray for this morning, Sangmu, S-A-N-G-M-U. Pray for her salvation. That's the person that is with them. Um, she has been shared with, um, she's interested, but she's not ready to follow Jesus yet. The reason I show you that, that's just fresh on the field. I had no idea that was even going to come through. I was in my office about to walk over here earlier and all of a sudden, bing, there it is. I said, let's get this picture in because we're praying for missions this morning. And so this morning, let's pray for our international missionaries, Uh, not just my kids. There are over 4,000 missionaries serving around the world and we want to be praying for them. Um, Let's put faces to our prayers and uh, let's be faithful to pray this week, okay? Let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you this morning for the Christmas season. And as God, we come to this day and as we begin and kick off this season over the next several weeks of remembering uh, how you, Lord Jesus, came and how you're coming again, and we want to be found faithful before you this morning. And so God, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. You're a God who genuinely cares about our lives and cares about our needs. You understand the ultimate need of our hearts and of our lives, and that is to give our lives to you. Because God, in our hearts, we live in darkness. We live, Lord, separated from you. We live cut off from you, and we live a life that leads to destruction. And even though we can have success here on earth with money and with prestige and with power and with position, Lord, it leads ultimately to an eternal separation from you if we haven't surrendered our lives to you, Jesus. We live in darkness. But you came into the world, Jesus. 
And we thank you this morning, Lord, as we pray that, God, you have stepped into this world, as we've been singing about this morning. You stepped into this world to rescue us, to save us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so we're grateful this morning, thankful. We love you, Lord. We're deeply sorry for our sins and where we've disobeyed you, where we have gone off track. God, we are so sorry and we repent of that sin this morning. If we can ever truly worship you, that you would cleanse our hearts, that you would step into our life and replace the, the inclination that we have to the flesh with Lord, your spirit that lives inside of us, but that you want to take full and complete ownership of our hearts this morning. So we give you our hearts. We pray that you'd fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit today, that you would fill our church with your Holy Spirit, that we would be a spiritual people, that we would be a people that, Lord, knows you, loves you, walks in your wisdom, your grace, your mercy. God, we know you're a God who cares about the nations. You love the peoples of the earth, just as you've loved us. And so we pray this morning for our missionaries, those who are serving you around the world, those who have given their lives and left churches just like ours, sitting in seats just like ours, and answered the call by you to go and to take the gospel to the nations. We pray that you would encourage them, that you would lift them up. We pray that you'd give them success because there is immense spiritual warfare so we pray that you'd come alongside them and keep them close to your word, keep them close to you. And God, would you just give them the grace of other believers who would encourage them and come alongside them as well. Walk with them as they are walking by faith. Lord, to serve you. Lord, we pray this morning as we kick off this week of prayer that we would be a faithful church, not just to pray when we're in this service, but daily pouring out our hearts on behalf of thousands of people that we've never met, but Lord, who also are among places that are people living in darkness. We pray for them this morning, and we want to be a faithful church to pray this coming week, Lord. We love you. We pray, Lord, now that you would open our hearts. Lord, that you'd open our hearts to your word. God, as we work through the next several weeks and remember the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would lead us to a life of greater faith, of obedience, passion to serve you, that you would draw us near to you, Lord. So open our hearts this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. But Lord, give us a heart of obedience today. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, Merry Christmas early on. Here we go. I tell you, it is amazing. It's already the Christmas season, but I'm so excited about it and uh, excited about what God is going to show us and teach us in his word. And over the course of the next several weeks, what God's going to do in the life of our church as he draws us closer and near to him. Uh, and so I'm excited to, uh, uh, to walk with you on that particular journey. I want to ask you to open your Bibles this morning uh, to the Psalms. We're going to be, as you can see, in Psalm 2. Over the course of the next several weeks, we are going to um, look at several psalms. And so as we take a break from the book of Philippians, we'll come back to Philippians a little bit down the road. Um, but, but we're going to have a little short series here as we drive towards Christmas Day, as we remember 
the coming of Jesus. There is a famous character. His name is Aslan. If you've ever read the books by C.S. Lewis, um, famous books that were then made into a movie. You've probably heard of the movie before you've heard the books. Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The Chronicles of Narnia. In the famous series by C.S. Lewis, he has a famous character. His name is Aslan. He is a lion. Um, he stands out as one of the main figure characters of that particular series. What Lewis does in this character, his name is Aslan, who is a lion in the story, is he gives him the personality and the powers, if you will, of Jesus Christ. You see, what Lewis did is he took fantasy, if you will, this genre of fantasy, and he created Christian themes and Christian parallels in these particular books that were then made into movies, or a few of them were made into movies. In the stories, you may have seen the movie, but in the stories... Aslan is depicted as a caring creator. He's depicted as a risen savior. He is depicted in the story as a faithful friend, but he is also then depicted as a compassionate king. And when you watch the second movie, or you read the book called Prince Caspian, Aslan is killed in the first movie, but he rises from the dead. And in Prince Caspian, Lewis brings him back, the return of the king. We think about the stories. We see the parallels of scripture. Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine says this. Look at it with me. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. During this season, the season rather brings us two things. We look back at the coming of Jesus Christ. He came. We remember that. Advent table, we sing songs about it. You're going to have gatherings and, and we're going to celebrate that as a season of celebration. We look backwards, but we also look forwards, right? Because not only do we look back at the king of kings, Jesus himself who has come, but we look ahead to when Jesus is going to return again. So next four Sundays, we're going to look at a few Psalms here that we're going to camp out on over the course of the next few Sundays that remind us and show us that the king has come, but you ready church? The king is coming again. The king has come, but the king is coming again. That's important, and it's very relevant for our day and age to remember this. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, Jesus himself says that the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms speak of him. Jesus himself is fulfilled in these things. And so there are certain Psalms, when you read the Psalms, as we're going to this morning, that are what's called messianic Psalms or royal Psalms, sometimes they're called. They have current application for the particular king, David himself, but they also have the future fulfillment in Jesus Christ, a future fulfillment of what all of this is going to be fulfilled and was fulfilled in Jesus himself. And so these Psalms predict aspects of Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. On this morning, we come to Psalm 2. I want you to look with me in your Bibles. I'm going to read for us this morning and you follow along as I read. 
Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the, his anointed, saying, quote, let us burst the, the, their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then <clears throat> he will speak in them, to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. <clears throat> I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them from, with a bond of iron and dash them to, in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, all rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This psalm is quoted seven times in the New Testament. Seven times. Psalm 2 is quoted in the New Testament in all reference to Jesus himself. Why is that important for us? We'll look around the world today. I mean, why is it important to understand and why the importance of this psalm? Because look around the world today. Look at the, how the world is burning. Look at how the, the world is in chaos. Look at the wars. Look at the chaos in our world and in our culture today. What we see in our culture today, what we see around the world today is beauty. What we see around the world is design. But we also see the brokenness, don't we? We feel the brokenness even in our own lives. Every time you visit a funeral or you have some loved one who passes away, you feel the brokenness. Every time you drive around and you see the brokenness of, uh, of people on the side of the road or you see the brokenness of families, those of you who work in law enforcement or are fire department, you understand and you see the brokenness week after week. Those of you who are in school, you students who are in school, you see and you feel the brokenness of this is, should not be the case. We understand that there is beauty and there is design. Just look at the beauty and the design of all of God's creation and yet juxtaposed next to it is the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of our own hearts. We need help. That's what the world is crying out for. That is what the world is screaming at us. We need hope. And that hope is found in God alone who comes to rescue us. And that's why this psalm is relevant to us. That is why these psalms we're going to walk through over the next several weeks are so relevant to us. Psalm 2 is written by David. The New Testament points that out in one of the ways and one of the places in which it is quoted. This is a psalm about God's anointed king. David himself, yes, and other kings of the Davidic line, but it has future fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Listen. What the Bible tells us and teaches us out of this psalm this morning, church, is this, that Jesus is God's anointed Messiah King who rules over the nations. We prayed for the nations. But understand this, that when we read the Bible and when we read Psalm 2, we understand that Jesus is God's anointed Messiah King that this psalm is pointing to who rules over the nations. Now think about this psalm with me a moment. When we just read it a moment ago, it's actually broken up like a scenes of a movie. And so think in terms of four scenes when you read these stanzas, if you will, of Psalm 2. 
The first scene of the movie opens like this in the first three verses. Look at it with me in your Bibles, that there's these foolish nations who rebel. Now listen, look at the Bible with me again. He says, why, this is what David says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Listen, we celebrate and we wait for this future hope, hope, don't we? I mean, that's what we're here. That's why we decorated the church for this coming Sunday. This is why we have an Advent table. This is why we sing the great songs of the faith when it comes to the Christmas season, learn new songs that point us to Jesus Christ. This is why we have the gatherings. This is why we get the ugly sweaters out, right? You know what I'm saying? This is why we do what we do because we're looking to that hope. This isn't just a cute holiday. This isn't just a cute season but we get to bake nice cookies and get ugly sweaters out. No, we're looking to that hope. It's a season of being reminded of that, but guess what? Not everybody does that. Think in terms with me about the people outside of these walls. The vast majority of the people, not only in our community, in our county, in Texas, and around the world, over 30 million people living in Texas, the vast majority this morning are not thinking about Jesus. They might be thinking about Christmas and shopping and all of that, but they are not thinking about the future hope of Jesus Christ who has saved me from my sins and will one day return. You see, we have that hope, but the world does not have that hope and doesn't understand that they need Jesus Christ. Most people are like the nations here in verses one through three. And they mount this foolish rebellion in their heart towards God. And what David is doing here in these first three verses is he's sounding the alarm. Look at what he says in verse one again. He, he says, beware what you do in secret. Look at the rhetorical question, the rhetorical question in verse one. Why did the nations rage, David says, and the people's plot in vain? In other words, what's happening here, there are several kings, earthly kings, who had come together to defy God and to conspire, if you will, in secret. Now, I want you to think in terms of what it says in Psalm 1, look up in Psalm 1 and how this contrasts to what Psalm 1 says. He says, blessed is the man, in verse 1, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. This is the pathway to blessing. But several kings here, they conspire together to defy God and, 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 and defy him in every way. Same word. In verse two, where he says the law, I'm sorry, in Psalm, chapter, or Psalm 1, verse two, where he says the law he meditates day and night, it's the same word as we see in verse one of Psalm two, where the people's plot in vain. Now this verse here is quoted over in Acts chapter four, verse 23, and this is what it says. I have it for you right here. Acts chapter four, verse 23 and you know, David, I'm sorry, Peter quotes this in the book of Acts chapter four in reference to Jesus being crucified on the cross and dying. He says, when they were released, and this is Acts chapter four, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. And then he quotes two, Psalm two, why did the Gentiles rage in the people's plot? in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together in your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, 
both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, O Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant. So continue to speak your word with all boldness. Peter referenced the fact that this was the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, this verse in Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2, verse 1. Be careful or beware what you do in secret. David then goes on with this kind of warning, if you will, behind the scenes, overlaying these three verses with saying this, beware where you take your stand. Look at verse two. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together to do what? To be against the Lord and against his anointing. Specific focus. Not only do they just get together and plot in vain, but they have this specific desire to go against God's anointed, against God himself, and then the anointed king, this Messiah, this future Messiah, but also the king, God's anointed king. Beware where you take your stand. But then notice what they begin to say in verse three. Because what David says is beware not only what you do in secret and what you, where you stand, but also what you say. Let us, this is what they say, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. What do they want? They want freedom from political control. They want independence. And this is what it's like to reject God. You see, all of us are like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned against God. All of us live in rebellion just like verses one through three. What we want to do is we want to throw off that authority. What we want to do is throw off the king. We don't want Jesus to sit on the throne of our hearts. We might like him from a distance, but we don't want him to be, to be on the throne of our hearts. And it's all in vain, David says. It's foolish. It's Psalm 1, verse 2. It's Psalm 1, Verse one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the seat of, or the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. In Virginia, where I grew up, the ponds actually froze over. And in the dead of winter, we were always warned from time to time, don't walk on the pond. Why? Because you're walking on what? Thin ice. I think about verses one through three. Oftentimes we grow distracted. The world grows distracted instead of alert on the pathway to blessing. There's rebellion. And so notice these first three verses, this foolish focus of the nations to rebel. That's what David points to, but then he points to heaven's response. Look at verses four, five, and six, scene number two. You see, people may plot and they may mock and they may scoff, but the Lord gets the last laugh. He always gets the last laugh. Which is why in verse four it says, he who sits in the heavens, what? Laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Notice there that God does what? He doesn't stand up. What does he do? He sits. He sits enthroned. And what's his response? He ridicules rebellion on earth. That's what the word deride means. 
What he doesn't do is he's not concerned about it. He's not worried about it. He's not nervous about it. He doesn't negotiate his own authority. No, rebellion is met in verse five with what? Wrath and what? Fury. It's met with wrath and fury. Think about what it says in Romans chapter one. You remember that passage? Romans 1.18 says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. Well, he goes on to say this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God and had given thanks to God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and the foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God with images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I could take you to where my kids are today and they are surrounded with the reality of that verse. They are surrounded with the reality of the lostness of the world, just as we are. But the fact of the matter is, what does God say? God's final answer is in verse six. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Notice what he, it turns to the first person. This is not about someone else. He says, I have set my king on Zion, this holy mountain, the place where the king would rule. That's what heaven says. David built his city on the, in the temple. It's set there for worship of God. It was there for the Lord, and it was there to, be, to worship the Lord. And what God says in verse six is, I've spoken, I'm done discussing it. The rebellion on the world is just that, it's rebellion. The plotting in vain and the earth setting themselves and taking counsel together against God's anointing, okay, that's fine. I'm gonna sit here and laugh and I'm gonna hold the world in derision. I'm gonna hold the rebellion in derision, in contempt. And this is all the promise. Because you see, what God does is he promises way back in 2 Samuel an incredible promise in the covenant of David. Stay with me. It is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. This is what it says. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, David, after you, you shall come from your, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, not 50 years, not 100 years, but forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. That promise not only was for his son and the following son, but ultimately to the one who fulfilled this promise, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the nations can rage, God says. They can plot in vain. But the Davidic rule and reign is over everything, and it will never, ever be broken. Now listen, all of it leads to this. The nation's plot and foolishness 
Heaven responds, but look what happens. The Messiah, the Son, speaks in verse 7. I will tell you a decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. And today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's wheel or vessel. The Lord's anointed speaks. Notice that the Lord's Messiah speaks. The Messiah himself speaks. And he issues a decree or a pledge You see, Hebrew kings in the lineage of David oftentimes spoke of adoption. They used adoption language in every way, as we see there in verse 7. But you see, all of this is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. You see, out of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, where, where, where where God says to David that there is going to be this, I will be a father to you, we see it fulfilled here. In this verse, look at verse seven again with me. You are my son today, I've begotten you. Where have you heard that from? You've heard it in the New Testament. You see, we've heard it at the baptism of Jesus himself. In fact, over in Matthew chapter three, verse 17, this is what it says. When Jesus is baptized, he comes out of the water, what does the voice from heaven say? Put that back up. He says, it says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom, what? I am well pleased. He's gonna come back and say the very same thing in the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. He's gonna say the exact same thing. Here, but, but, but he's not done because not only does he say, this is my beloved son, but he says, in whom I am well pleased. That is a reference to Isaiah chapter 42, verse one. Jesus is the one who this voice is not finished because Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who is the Lord's anointed, but there's more because this is all then applied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's gonna come back up in Acts chapter 13, verse 33, where the father vindicates Jesus as the son the one who has been not only died but was buried but rose from the dead. But he's not done because in Hebrews chapter five, verse five, he's, this is the, the writer of Hebrews is going to unite this very principle in verse seven where he's gonna unite the king and the priest that Jesus is now exalted and he's now enthroned. This is what the New Testament points us to, that Jesus is this Messiah. He is this king. And so Jesus is revealed to the nations in verse seven, but he will rule over the nations in verse eight and nine. Look at what it says. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. We see in the post, we see this principle in the post-resurrection charge to, God's, to Jesus' disciples himself. He says, listen, you as disciples, you go and make disciples. And listen, church, all of this brings us to the very reality in three times in the book of Revelation, we see these verses, these themes coming up. And the reality is this, there will be a day in Revelation chapter 19, this is what it says. Verse 11, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse 
The one sitting on it, on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head are, are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in, in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth come a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written you ready king of kings and lord of lords Jesus will come again and Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords so nations rebel Heaven responds, the Messiah speaks, which then leads to what here in the verse, or in the verses? An ultimatum? No. It's not an ultimatum. It's an invitation. Because you see, the spirit of verses 10, 11, and 12 in Psalm 2 point and bring us to this compassionate invitation. Jesus is God's anointed Messiah King who rules over the nations. You see, the reality for all of us is that those who reject Jesus as God's son and rule will perish and be cut off. That should motivate us to care. That should motivate us to pray. That should motivate us to share Christ with others, the gospel of Jesus with others. The nations need to know But listen, this is how grace works. Look at the verses with me again. He says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. You see, this is how grace and we respond to the grace of God. You be wise and be warned. In verse 2 and 10, only one response to God's plan is acceptable in the eyes of God. Only one response to God's rescue plan is acceptable. It is to be wise and to be warned. The fact of the matter is when he's writing here to the kings, these were kings. These are smart people. And the reality is that apart from God, they had no wisdom. They had no ability to understand or know God. They didn't have the capacity to be wise. So what does David say? Pay attention. Because you need to learn. You need to know. You need to know the way. So that you can become like Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of scoffers or sits in the seat of scoff, seats in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. They needed to know and understand what Psalm 1 was. Be wise and be warned. What God wants for your life is to be wise and to be warned. But something else David says in this compassionate invitation to us is that he wants us to serve and rejoice. Look at verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. God doesn't cut you off just as he doesn't cut these kings off. The response to a king and to his Messiah king who rules over the nations is not only to be wise and to be warned, but to serve and rejoice. Will you worship and work for the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the invitation. Will you work and will you worship the Lord Jesus Christ with your life? That's the response, that's the question that God is asking us in response to his Messiah King. Will you worship and will you work? Will you tremble at his holiness? Will you work for him 
in the fear of the Lord? God doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of your life. He doesn't want your Mondays or your Tuesdays. He wants all seven days of the week. He doesn't want you just at church. He wants you in the private. He wants the affection of your heart. He wants you to revere him and to respect him. He wants you to work for him. He wants you to worship him. And so David says in this compassionate invitation to us to be wise and to be warned, but not only that, but to serve and to rejoice. But he's not done. Look at verse 10. He says, kiss the Lord, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. In other words, pay homage to the Lord. Bow down and submit to his authority. That's what he wants from your life. Just as he says here to these kings, that is the only proper response to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Will you be wise and be warned? Will you heed his warning? Will you serve him and rejoice in him? Will you trust him and will you follow him? As he says there in verse 12, if you will and if you do, what's the promise on the back end? Blessing. What does he say to these kings who have rebelled against him? What does he say to all those who have rejected Jesus Christ. Oh, in the grace and the mercy of God, he gives you an opportunity to know him in a personal way. He gives you the opportunity to be blessed. As he says there at the end of verse 12, blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Isaiah chapter nine, very familiar verse that we read this time of year. Isaiah nine, six and seven says this, for To us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A promise hundreds of years before it was ever fulfilled in Bethlehem. Now, how do I respond to that? I respond to it in the way that God gives me the ability to respond to it. I understand that the pathway of blessing is to follow that invitation, verses 10 through 12. And if I do, then I will understand Psalm 1. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. All the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Oh, there's only one response to the Lord Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. A king that has been crowned demands that we be wise and we heed his warning. We serve him and we rejoice in him. We trust and we follow him. 
I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning as we start this Christmas season here at Central. What is the Lord saying to you in your life? Are there areas of your life where Jesus is not sitting on the throne of your heart? Maybe you need to take some time this morning and just recommit yourself to the Lord, your heart to the Lord. Take verses 10, 11, and 12 and use that as a prayer upon your heart. If you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'll be here at the front. We'd love to talk to you about that decision. You know, we're going to stand and sing a song in, the, in a moment. And when we do, what I'm going to ask you to do is just have the courage to come down here if you're ready to give your life to Jesus. The Lord's been speaking to you about membership or baptism and joining our church. Now's the opportunity to respond to that, say yes to that. This is what God wants from your life, that the only proper response to a king is to bow down and worship him, is to submit to his authority. So above all things we do in the month of December, let's remember to do that because he wants our hearts. He wants your heart. He wants my heart. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to stand and sing and worship and Let's respond to the Lord this morning. God, thank you this morning for your word and how you, God, guide and instruct our hearts. We pray that you, Lord, would bless us as your word promises here in Psalm 2, that you would find us in a position, in a posture of humility. Lord, as we've learned in Philippians 2, that we would embrace and have the mind of Christ that we would submit to your kingship in our hearts, that you would be seated on the throne of our hearts, God. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. And you have the courage to come if the Lord leads you today. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the world's hands have made And I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder Thy power throughout the universe display Then sings my soul, my Savior God Yeah.
You can be seated. Good singing this morning as we prepare to leave today. Hey, listen, a couple quick announcements before we leave this morning. Um, we're going to talk about giving in just a moment, but I want to remind you that coming up, we have our Christmas um, service. It's going to be on a Wednesday night. It's a week and a half from today, and that's going to be on December the 13th at 6 p.m. right here in the worship center. We've got all of our children's choirs as well as our all of our worship team involved in that. It's going to be a fun night. Um, we've also got some fun things planned. We've got a street party going on in the, uh, in the street out here. We've closed the street down that night, and we're going to have s'mores, hot dogs, and a fun night out there. So feel free, if you would like to stay for a few minutes after the event is over that night, feel free to do that. But that'll be immediately following the service on that particular Wednesday night, okay? Hey, Central Classics has an event coming up this, uh, this coming week on Tuesday. So you've got some information there in your uh, bulletin, but also the slide above my head right there. It's going to be in the morning across the street over in the Family Center. So those of you who are far, uh, involved in Central Classics, make sure that you, uh, you take part in that. That's going to be a fun event during the middle of the day, okay? Hey, listen, I've got um, a, a thank you card that I want to read. I was asked to read by RW. If you don't know who RW is, that's okay. RW is our security here at our church on Sundays and on Wednesdays, so you might see him walking around. Um, he has eyes and ears on our campus uh, all the time. 
An RW asked me to read a card uh, this morning. Actually, this is the card that many of you signed over the last uh, couple weeks. He just had a, a major surgery on his heart, and uh, he has, by, way, by the way, slipped out. So he was going to slip out a little early today. But he asked me to read this to our congregation because you'll typically see him out here at the information desk. Um, but uh, just overwhelmed gratitude on uh, his part uh, on behalf of our church. So let me just read this for us. It says, thank you, Lord. Um, for all of, uh, of the blessings that you have bestowed on my life. Um, you've provided me with more than I uh, could have or imagined. Um, he says, you have surrounded me with people who always look out for me, and you have uh, given uh, me a family and friends who bless me um, every day with kind words and actions, and he wanted me to thank us as a congregation for all the ways in which we've poured out our uh, prayers and uh, encouragement to him. So uh, if you get to see him, he won't be here today. He wanted to slip out a little early today, but um, he'll be back, and um, uh, make sure you say a kind word to him uh, just in person, okay? This coming week is our week of prayer for IMB and for our missionaries, and it also kicks off our season of giving to the International Mission Board. And so everything you give to missions in the month of December will go to this particular offering. You see our goal of 22000 again this year, and uh, let's be faithful to give over and above our tithes and what we typically give to our local and work here at our church. Uh, a one-time offering that we're giving over the course of the month of December, we're going to give this to the International Mission Board almost half of their entire budget comes from the gifts that come through this particular offering. Uh, over half, almost half of their entire budget. That's how big it is and how much they depend upon it. So let's be faithful to give and let's invest as we pray, but also invest in kingdom work going on around the world. I want you to watch this short video and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up for us this morning. We sense it in the brokenness of the world around us. Lostness is a blindness to the promise and hope of the gospel that leads to eternal separation from the Father. The world's greatest problem is lostness, and it's growing every day. Eight billion people living in 195 countries, speaking over 7,000 languages. Today, more than half have yet to hear the good news of the gospel. The vision God gives us in Revelation 7-9, a multitude from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, fuels our desire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we must be willing to go further than we've ever gone before, to the very edges of lostness, where more than 3,000 people groups have no missionary presence and likely no access to the gospel. No one is engaging them. Together, we can change that. We know the love and hope and peace of the gospel. We know the way, the truth, and the life. We know the power of true redemption. We will not ignore lostness. We will not be silent. We will not stand still. From the great commission until the great multitude, we must unite in this great pursuit to reach every nation, no matter the cost. 
You know, this is startling statistics. When we think about over 3,000 people groups around the world that have yet to hear the gospel, they don't even know who Jesus is, much less worship him in a building like this. Um, and so there are reasons for that. Some of them are hard to get to um, and uh, uh, very, very difficult to reach. Um, and so we want to be praying. We want to be praying that God would find us faithful. And sometimes in Livingston here, in any particular community, it's hard to fathom how we can have any kind of an impact on that, but we absolutely do. And the beauty of part, being a part of the Son of the Baptist, your spirit lives inside of us. Your Holy Spirit lives inside of, of us, then you help us to have the eyes and the mind of Christ. You help us to see the nations and to, have, to be broken over the lostness of the world, the lostness of the people around us and the lostness of the nations. We know you have a passion and a love to share this hope that we've been talking about and singing about with the nations. So would you find us faithful to pray? Would you find us faithful to give, to sacrifice what we need to sacrifice in order to give, to leverage, Lord, the resources you've given us that others might hear the good news of Jesus and respond to it, to be rescued from hell and, Lord, have the promise of eternal life in heaven with you. Lord, we long for that. God, we give these tithes and we give these offerings to you and we pray that your blessing would be upon them. And Lord, we just pray that you would, Lord, point us to people who need Jesus this week. As we think about the importance of this season, Lord, help us to testify of your goodness and grace upon our life. Lord, we love you. And we pray that your hand would be upon us in the, in the days ahead. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you so much.